Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Draftville, the USA Today Sports Network's podcast previewing the 2020 NFL Draft, which will take place in Las Vegas. I'm your host, Tommy Dees, from the Tennessean in Nashville. And on today's show, we're talking Packers with Pete Doherty of the Green Bay Press-Gazette, and then we'll check in with Joe Shad of the Palm Beach Post to discuss the Dolphins. Both these teams are loaded with picks, and we'll get an idea of what they're going to do with them all. First up, here's Pete Doherty. Well, hello, Pete. Let's talk about these Packers. Uh, got uh, three picks in the first three rounds, all at number 30. So they're picking at the bottom of the, the round, but they have 10 total picks, and five of those are backloaded in the sixth and seventh round. So I guess the, the main question is, is how do they maximize that array of picks? That's a lot of picks, but they're not a lot early. Yeah, it is. And those, you know, those late rounders, I mean, the whole draft, there's a, you know, as you know, there's a, a crapshoot element to it, and it gets even more so when you get the, you know, the, what, fourth through the seventh rounds. Um, so those will just be taken, I would think, taken uh, stabs at guys they think have a special quality and, and filling in a lot of positions. You know, every team has a ton of needs, and um, the Packers need almost, could use almost anything and everything, but they do have a couple needs uh, that are above the others. And I would say the top two, and anybody who's watched this team would know this, is uh, inside linebacker and receiver. Right. They have gone from a team that, that had a lot of playmakers at receivers, and I would think in a draft that looks very receiver-heavy, um, the first two rounds might be a place they could find uh, a playmaker who could be a plug-and-play. Yeah, and um, it's interesting with how deep this draft is, in, at least in good prospects at receiver, you know, they've got a lot to think about here. Um, so in the first round, they haven't taken a first-round receiver since the early 2000s when they got uh, Javon Walker. But So in the first round at 30, do you not take a receiver because you can get one who's just as good or who you might like as well as the first-rounders? Can you get that guy at 60? And then does that allow you to take the inside linebacker or a tackle because they could lose Brian Belaga? It looks like they... Probably will, as a matter of fact, so they could take a tackle there. Or if they just saw somebody who they thought was special at a position of less need, they could uh, take that guy. And it, but it could cut the other way. There could be, you know, with all these guys who are available in the first round who look like first round prospects, maybe there's one of them they really like more than the rest and would want that guy at 30 if they could get him. Yeah, and you could end up with the fourth or whatever, fourth or fifth receiver taken. And still get a very good receiver, at least off what what these prospects are being graded as. Yeah, and they, um, you know, it's funny. Uh, you know, Brian Gutekunst, their GM. If you look at their receiver core, I mean, it looks like a basketball team. They have to, they have to have the tallest uh, receiver core in the league. He just, he really likes these big targets. Uh, you know, and I can see why. I mean, the big catch radius is huge, and he drafted a couple bigger, fast guys who are also fast. I mean, Mark Quesvel does. Gantling ran in the four threes a couple of years ago in the 40. Um, but overall, they're more big than they are dynamic at that position. So I wonder if he'll give up a little bit in the height because he likes these six five guys. But I wonder if he'll be willing to go a lot closer to six feet or to six feet for someone who is just really explosive and can really run and uh, is just a big danger with the ball in his hands. Yeah, and, and a lot of that when we uh, especially talking about receiver has to do with Aaron Rodgers and, and their 
still in the window where they've got that that viable franchise quarterback who could take you all the way if you put all the other pieces together. But but how much longer do you see that window lasting? Is is there how close are we to a point that they begin looking to build in other places because they know he won't be around? Well, you know, I mean, if I'm them, I I would think he's got at least two very good years left, and it could be more than that. I mean, you just don't know, you know, once these guys, you know, I think the, the age used to be, and I remember talking with GMs about this, it was about 38 was about it for these guys, these quarterbacks, and now it's looking like it's more like 40 or 41. So, you know, he could possibly, you know, who knows how long it could go. He's had some couple serious injuries, so you don't know how much that'll diminish him. He's not nearly as mobile as he was a few years ago. I mean, that was became clear last year, but he still has huge arm talent, and he's really smart. So I'm thinking at least a couple good years, a couple very good years at, at minimum. But, you know, if I'm them, if there's a quarterback at 30 or that they could trade up a few spots for to get who, if they really, really like the guy, I don't know how you don't do it because just think back to when they drafted Rodgers in 05. You know, he just fell to him. But let's say they had drafted, they had even traded up five or six spots for him. Um, maybe even traded up more than that, given up their number one the next year, who ended up being A.J. Hawk. If they had done that and gotten Aaron Rodgers, even though Brett Favre had a couple good years left in him, I mean, who would look back on that and call that a, a, a stupid move? I don't think anybody would. Um, now you'd have to have a great feeling about a quarterback to do it at this point, but you know, it's not too early because um, you know, like like I was, we were talking earlier, it could be down to his last you know couple really good seasons. So I would think quarterback could possibly be in be in play. I wouldn't obviously wouldn't bet on taking one in rounds one or two, but uh, he's the same age now that um, Favre was when they drafted Rodgers. And that Garoppolo was when the Patriots uh, drafted him, or I mean that that Brady was when the when the Patriots drafted Garoppolo. Right, and and when we look at the fact that that half of these ten picks that Green Bay has come in the sixth and seventh rounds, um, what what do you th- do you think? I would look at that and think that might be a, a real defense heavy pick. Uh, you know, three or four of those might be on that side of the ball. Yeah, early, if you look at their last however many drafts, you go back 10 years, I bet they've been mostly defensive heavy, especially early. And I think this one could be more offensive heavy early. But then, yeah, I would think even if they draft an inside linebacker high, I could see them draft another one later. Corners, in the, with the way the game is played today, um, you just there's no such thing as having too many decent corners. So I wouldn't be surprised if they added a guy or two there. Um Running back is a position where you can, you know, Aaron Jones is a really good back, and they got him in the fifth round. They need another guy uh, who's dynamic with the ball in his hands because you don't want your offense to go to pot if Jones gets hurt and running backs get hurt. That's just the way this league is. I realize that's on the offensive side of the ball, but uh, there's a lot of positions they could take it. You know, pass rushers, you can never have too much, just like corners. There's no such thing as. Uh, as too many of those either, and they need some run-stopping help in the middle of their defensive line. Yeah, and I think running back, especially with all those late picks, is an intriguing position because as we look ar- around the league, there are early-round picks like Ezekiel Elliott and then the second-round guy like Derrick Henry who are, who are you know, uh, 
key backs that, that are big load carriers, but there's a lot of running back by committee. I think Green Bay would probably still be looking to be a committee, and you could pick up part of your committee there. Yeah, um, look at San Francisco. I don't think any of those guys was a high pick, and you know, overall, they had probably the best overall running game of you know, and that was that play action pass and all that is such a huge part of the offense. Same offense the Packers run, um, so you don't have to have those high guys. You know, people around here in Wisconsin are wondering would they take Jonathan Taylor the running back from Wisconsin if uh, if he were there at 30 and if they thought he was super special and that teams picking that way ahead of them were missing the boat then you know I guess I'd say take him but short of that you can find really good backs later in the draft and that and would strike me as maybe a little more of a of a luxury that they couldn't afford at this point, short of them thinking that, you know, he's a really special player. Let's switch over um, as we close this out and talk about free agency, kind of kind of both sides of it. Who are who are players that the Packers are, are making decisions on keeping or not keeping, and, and what positions or what players do you think out there that they might target? Yeah, the two biggest ones are Blake Martinez at inside linebacker and Brian Balaga at right tackle. And Martinez was really durable and dependable, um, but he just doesn't make enough play. You know, the game is so different now than it was even five years ago with the demands on the inside linebacker position where you really need to be a good cover guy. And to find one who can do that and also play the run, it's just hard and because they've got to almost be like running backs and running the four fives or low four sixes. And, um, so I don't. It sure looks like they're not resigning Martinez. So that's why that's a big position in the draft for them. Um, and Bulaga had a really good year. He's 30. He's got. He's had a lot of serious injuries. ACL, torn hip labrum over his career. Those things add up. I'm sure they're concerned that he's. Even though he played really well for him and played in, um, I think every game, except for one of the playoff games. Um, I would still, if I'm them, I'm pretty concerned about whether he could hit this wall at any time, and he's probably going to score pretty big in free agency. So at least at this point, it's looking like he's probably going to move on too. Um, So those will be their two losses. And then, um, you know, a name that keeps coming up for a guy they might go after is Austin Hooper of uh, Atlanta, the tight end. Um, they, Jimmy Graham just didn't, he just, he hit the, they signed him at age 31, I think, and he hit the wall and he's just not the same guy that he was when he was a, you know, an all pro, you know, five or six years ago. Uh, and I think Hooper is a guy, I could see them making a, a run at a guy like that. Uh, they could really use a complete tight end who can make some plays in the passing game, but also is at least a decent blocker for all the, all the running stuff, the outside zone stuff that, uh, Matt LaFleur wants to do. Yeah, and I imagine Aaron Rodgers would probably vote for a receiver and a tight end uh, right away. Yeah, I'm sure he would love the help. They need some, you know, some dynamic playmakers. And not that Hooper's a burner, but he's a good, solid player. And and then, you know, you never know what they'll – they don't have the money they had last year. Um, they've got about half as much cap room as they had last year, so they can't go on that big spending bid they did last year. But uh, I could see a Madden, you know – a cheaper slot receiver, 
um, a stopgap right tackle in case they, you know, a draft pick isn't good enough to be the isn't ready to be the starter. A stopgap inside linebacker for the same reason at that position, you know. But we're talking there guys who are costing, uh, I don't know, four million dollars a year or something like that. Well, it'll be interesting to see what the Packers do in the off season, and particularly the team to watch. I think on the final day of the NFL draft from Las Vegas. Pete, we appreciate you joining us and talking about the Green Bay Packers. Well, thanks for having me. And now let's check in with Joe Shad, uh, who covers the Miami Dolphins for the Palm Beach Post. He was previously with ESPN, Orlando Sentinel, and Newsday. How are you doing, Joe? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, we're talking about a team that's probably the most and best poised to come out of the Las Vegas draft, most improved, with five picks in the first two rounds, including three in the first round, uh, can you just discuss how how they got those picks, how they acquired them, and and uh, amassed all this wealth? You know, it's interesting. The Dolphins were uh, rightly praised for this selection of Laramie Tunsil, the Ole Miss offensive tackle, when he fell in the draft a few years ago. But certainly, it was controversial dealing him away to the Houston Texans for multiple first round picks, and and then when uh, later the Dolphins traded away defensive back Minka Fitzpatrick, who really was uh, you know, living up to his expectations as another recent first-round draft choice. So the Dolphins decided that uh, not only were they going to do what a lot of teams do, which is trade away older players with value, they decided to trade away uh, you know, guys who would play in the Pro Bowl this year for different teams who were under 25. So certainly that was a, a controversial decision and, and you know, led to them losing more games than they may have otherwise. But Really, their entire strategy has been based around accumulating as many draft choices as possible, uh, in particular in order to increase the chances that they can actually land a franchise quarterback. And if that does not happen in April in Las Vegas, uh, it'll be a tremendous disappointment, not only for the fans, but for the owner of the team. Yeah, and and we're talking about a franchise that um, were sellers. And I I guess uh, there might have been, on the the part of some fans at least, Seller's remorse during the season at various times, but it didn't turn out to be quite as bad as people thought. Because um, not only did they let go the guys you mentioned, they let go Ryan Tannehill, who took the Titans on a, on a nice playoff run. Do you, do you think there's any regret, or do you think that this is where they cash in and, and everybody says, "Oh, I see the wisdom and all that"? Yeah, I mean Tannehill had run its course. It did not surprise me that he, you know, played relatively well for Tennessee and and that a change of scenery was in his best interest and also in the best interest of the franchise. Same with Kenyon Drake. I mean, he was a guy who wasn't going to get re-signed, so the Dolphins deal him to Arizona. Who knows if he'll re-sign with Arizona, but uh, it just, you know, it was in the best interest of both teams to separate. And you make a good point. You know, the Dolphins exceeded expectations down the stretch. Uh, That was good for head coach Brian Flores as he attempts to install the quote-unquote culture that we like to write and talk so much about, but it certainly, you know, cost them Joe Burrow, who, you know, would have been the favorite to go to Miami. I'm sure he would like to come to Miami. They all want to come to Miami. Tua wants to come to Miami. Tua Tonga Loa. Uh, you know, I'm sure Justin Herbert would love to live in Miami. They all want to live in Miami. The Dolphins need some free agents to take less money to come to Miami because that hasn't happened in the recent past. So uh, I expect general manager Chris Greer to do anything and everything uh, required to make sure he gets one of the quarterbacks he wants. And if 
you can't get Joe Burrow, it'll have to be uh, Tua or Justin Herbert. Yeah, and we, we talked uh, you know about that, and I, I think the term tanking for Tua came up, but it, it turned out that they didn't tank um, despite letting go some some good talent. They um, they didn't have the worst season of all, and they are sitting here picking at uh, 5, 18, and 26, I believe it is, in the first round. That's correct, yeah. Could they you know, get – the coach didn't tank. Right, no. didn't tank, but the franchise tanked. So right. I want to make sure we get that straight. That's what I'm saying, the yeah. The strategy looked that. like a tanking. Um, from the yeah, from the organizational. organizational philosophy to tank the season, uh, there was no the owner and the general manager and the team executives and the salespeople and all that. They didn't care if the team won. So the organization now saying, "Oh, those who said the tank was misleading and they were wrong and this proved they were wrong," I disagree with that. The organizational philosophy was to tank, and uh, you know. Somehow they managed a way to win uh, more games than they were supposed to, and and it could work out that they end up getting Tua anyway. He um, with the injury, he could certainly fall to five, or they could package picks and and move up. And and you noted that is it, when we say that the quarterback is the priority, is that the priority for the first pick that the Miami Dolphins have? Will it necessarily be a quarterback? Yeah, it would be absolutely stunning if uh, the Dolphins' first choice in this draft wasn't. A quarterback, and the owner Stephen Ross has said we're we're drafting our franchise quarterback, and he publicly says that. Who says that? I mean, that just tells you how you know, this whole thing is designed around the quarterback. Now, the last thing in the world Chris Greer, the GM, wants to do is have to give up any of those assets that he accumulated to move up for a guy who's always injured. And I love to, and I think the Dolphins should roll the dice on to it, but. Uh, if he, because of his injury history, I think that makes it really difficult for Chris Greer to give up a first rounder or multiple second rounders to move up a few spots. So, if if it's not Tua, what do you what do you like about Tua and not like about Tua, and what are the other options? Well, I like his charisma. I like his leadership skills, his poise, his accuracy. Um, you know, he, he reminds me in terms of, you know, accuracy of Drew Brees and persona and the way he handles himself, Russell Wilson. And that's not a bad combination. Of course, the injuries are the concern. And it's not just, oh, how mobile will he be coming off of hip surgery? It's the accumulation of injuries, the ankle surgeries, the thumb, the, the knee, and, and the idea that players who are usually, uh, you know, most often injured in, in college or most often injured in the pros. And so I, I get all that. Uh, but because Miami has been searching for this guy since Dan Marino, uh, in my opinion, they, they have to make the pick if it's the fifth pick. If, if for some reason, you know, he, he doesn't turn out to be the guy, well, then you pick another one. You know, I, I'm just not convinced. I'm not convinced that Justin Herbert, um, has the you know the the, the gravitas to, to lead men, uh, which is you know it's cliche and you know it sounds kind of corny, but I've seen it up front up close, man. I've seen how quickly Ryan Fitzpatrick, despite his limited skills, took over the Dolphins' locker room at the age of 37, when a way more physically talented 22-year-old named Josh Rosen last year couldn't garner the support of his teammates. You need a guy that people rally around. You know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, limited skills. Uh, he was the leader of the entire team, including the defensive line. You know what I mean? It's like 
That's the guy you need, the guy with the it factor. Joe Burrow has it, Tua has it. I'm not so sure Justin Herbert has it. Okay, well, when we look at this, obviously we're talking quarterback, 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 but when you've got five picks in the first two rounds and, and a team with needs, you want to come out of this with more than just a quarterback. What else do the Dolphins need to do with these five picks in the first two rounds? What do they need to come out with for this to be a successful draft apart from a quarterback? Dolphins are desperate to improve their woeful offensive line. Uh, they have to take at least one tackle in the first round, possibly two. I would not be upset if the Dolphins used both the 18th and 26th pick on, uh, on offensive tackles. That would allow them to move tackle Jesse Davis to guard. Um, uh, the Dolphins will, will definitely take an offensive tackle, and there's a, a crop of them who are all sort of similar in skill, uh, either at 18 or 26. Dolphins really need a, a cornerback who's capable of potentially starting opposite Xavier Howard, who's very good, uh, even though he was injured last year and is facing a suspension at the start of this year for a domestic uh, off-the-field incident. Uh, the Dolphins badly need an edge rusher. Listen, man, I could go through the list. They have needs <laughs> everywhere. I mean, they, they have a, a gutted roster. I mean, there's like three or four guys who were on the team last year that are going to probably be on the team when the, when the corner is turned, if it ever actually does turn. Um, but, you know, they need an offensive lineman. They need an edge rusher. And they need a running back. The Dolphins will definitely consider Georgia running back DeAndre Swift at 18 or more likely 26. will definitely consider uh, one of the top three running backs, uh, if not in the first round, uh, high in the second round. Um, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick was their leading rusher last year. That's shocking. You know, they had a running back who carried the ball a bunch of times who averaged less than two yards per carry. And a lot of that was on the offensive line, but uh, a lot of it was on him. He's historically one of the worst running backs in NFL history. Yeah, and as you mentioned, there are needs on the other side of the ball. And I, I would imagine the deeper we get into the Dolphins draft, the more we might see defense. Yeah, I mean, Chris Greer, the GM, has invested heavily on the defensive side of the ball in recent years. And, you know, most successful teams invest in the trenches early in the draft. If you look at, you know, the Patriots, the Seahawks, the Saints, you know, they draft defensive linemen and offensive linemen early. Build from the Um, inside out. The Dolphins certainly will look at corner in the second round or running back in the second round. They'll circle back to offensive and defensive line in the third round. Maybe a defensive back, maybe a guy to replace Minka Fitzpatrick, who's versatile. One of the things the Dolphins always look for is versatility, and I know all NFL teams do, but they really want to be Patriots-like in terms of, okay, you know, this week you're an edge rusher, next week you're a middle linebacker, this week you're a deep safety, next week you're in the slot covering a tight end. Like They really want guys who can do multiple things, so that's kind of a key when you look at who's on the board as the draft picks come up for Miami. And and let's uh, wrap it up by just talking about free agency. Um. Who, who are the key guys to watch, both on the Dolphins teams that they may lose or need to re-sign, and those they may covet, um, places they may look for help outside the draft rather than in the draft? The Dolphins have no key free agents, which is shocking. I mean, That's, uh, That never happens. <laughs> yeah, zero. Like I've covered the team you know, four years back now and then two in the past, so six years have never – experience anything like what's gone on last year and what's going on now. I mean, they have a restricted free agent linebacker named Vince Beagle who they'd like to extend 
if they can, I'm sure they'll give them the RFA tender. Uh, but other than that, it's really just how do they spend their $90 million plus. And this is the key. Even though they have more free agency space than any other team in the NFL, I don't expect the Dolphins to be on the biggest, be in on the biggest free agents in Gawkway of Jacksonville, Clowney, the pass rushers, uh, Conklin, and the offensive tackle. I think the Dolphins are going to pass on all these guys. Byron Jones, the corner. I think when push comes to shove, they're not going to want to be at the high end. They're not going to want to sign any uh, Indomitian twos. They really felt like they were burned in that area a couple of years ago with that, uh, you know, debilitating contract and nothing Sue could do could live up to that. So, sort of in a Patriot like way, they're going to look towards second tier guys. So, they're going to try to add guys who are under 30 years of age who they think can be utilized for very specific roles. And they're definitely going to add a pass rusher. They're definitely going to add an offensive tackle, a guard, a center, a corner. I mean, they're going to add a lot of guys. But in almost all instances, they're going to try to add two or three players for the cost of one of the guys at the top of the market. And I think that that's a strategy the Dolphins are really going to use. And they think that their free agent philosophy is not like, let's build a dream team now. It's like, let's add over the next two or three years a wave of guys who are, you know, 23 to 27 who we think have high upsides and don't cost that much because we're actually smarter than the other guys. For too long, the Dolphins have not been smarter than the other guys. Well, there should be reason for optimism as we uh, look ahead to Las Vegas, a team with a lot of picks. We appreciate you checking in with us, Joe Shad, and shedding some light on it. All right. Good to talk to you. And that's it for another edition of Draftville, podcast of the USA Today Sports Network, looking at the NFL draft that will be coming up in Las Vegas. I'm your host, Tommy Dees, from the Tennessee and in Nashville, and we'll be back next week with another episode. We hope you'll download this on iTunes or Google Play or wherever it is you get your podcasts and leave us a rating or a comment if you'd like.